Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast of Jared Kimber. With me is Barrett Sundarason. You can find us both on Twitter and all the other places we are. Uh, probably the, yeah, the Adelaide Hills. Uh, I was in South <laughs> London today. In fact, I, I saw um, Sam Curran on a bus. Um, and not the Sam Curran, just a picture of Sam no, Curran. Right. Although, weirdly, Surrey had decided, or the Oval had decided to celebrate their star T20 player by putting a photo up of him clearly constipated uh, on the side of a bus. But maybe that's how you get interest with the kids um, in domestic cricket. But we will start with your questions. Uh, I should remind everyone, if you want to, if you're listening on YouTube and you're listening live, you can send us a super chat. If not, the best way to get your questions in is via Patreon, like Niran has. He says, do guys like Michael Lum, Craig Kiesvetter, and Luke Wright have a place in history when discussing the English white ball revolution? Uh, it, it's a really interesting one. I think mm. Michael Lum certainly played in a way that got a lot of attention for a little uh, period of time. And then it kind of, he just wasn't that player after that. Craig Kiesvetter was a fantastic player. And obviously, mm. you know, the injury that he had was devastating. And I... I think people have forgotten just how good he was. Mm. And Luke Wright didn't have the same kind of dramatic uh, injury. But there was a time when when I was doing all my early m- numbers, Luke Wright was probably one of the best T20 players in the world because he could bowl you four overs pretty regularly and could open the batting or, you know, bat in the top three and probably bat six or seven for certain teams. He, he pro- for whatever reason, didn't quite get the IPL opportunities he should have. And then when his back went, he couldn't bowl anymore. And his batting was fine, but there were other players. And he was probably moving on a little bit as well. Didn't quite have the power he had when he was younger. I think they're all great players. I don't think they're going to get starring roles in the uh, discussion on white ball revolution just because they were – all those people you've named, there were other players doing similar things in English cricket who then went on to do it for international cricket. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, the fact that we're talking about three guys who played such a big role in uh, England winning that World T20 in 2010, and the fact that very few people speak about uh, uh, England's T20 World Cup win in 2010 because it's just dismissed as a freak occurrence, right? Uh, it's it is to it is uh, to England's T20 cricket what that. Uh, famous, or uh, I mean, at least famous if you were watching it in the subcontinent, uh, Sharjah win in 1997 was like you know under Adam Holyoke. Uh, so that that's uh, an, an experiment or an adventure that uh, 
English cricket just forgot very quickly. I mean, I thought that was that was fun, right? When they mm. brought together the likes of Matthew Fleming and Ian Lee, uh, Ian, Ian, Ian Elam, and no, no, was it Ian Elam? No, Mark Elam. Mark Elam. Oof, Ian Elam. Ian Ian Austin. That's right. Ian Mark Austin. Elaine. Did Mark Elaine play in that one as well, mate? No, no, Mark Elaine came just after. So yeah. this is Ian Austin and uh, Peter well, Martin. I think and... If you look at World Cups, we don't like Australia. No one talks up Australia in 1987. Right, yeah. they talk up the the run right from 1999 yeah. through to 2007, and England have already had that run. Not quite at the same level as Australia, but they've already had that that kind of run. And even in uh, outside of India, 1983 isn't given that much cre- credence. Um, what their first two West Indies things. The truth is that until 2012, I'm not sure we had a real World T20. That that's not mm. saying that. Pakistan and India and and England yeah. didn't play good cricket to win, and there were other teams who played good cricket at times. It's just that we didn't. Even, no one took it seriously. Like you know, Australia rocked up an hour before that um, mm. that first tournament. Right? There was all sorts of weird stuff going on. Michael Clark was playing with a strike rate of twelve uh, for Australia in a <laughs> final. Like yeah. it just. That doesn't mean that Michael Lum, Craig Kiesvetter, and Luke Wright weren't good players because I think they were. But there's a big difference between uh, Mike Valletta. Uh, mm. And you know um, the Damien Martin, know, yeah, Damien Martin or Brad Hogg or those sorts yeah. of players later on, right? They're thought of, you know, very high up. Whereas Mike Valletta, I'm the first person to say Mike Valletta's name outside of his family or friends um, <laughs> in the last month, and he was a fantastic player, right? He but was, it was yeah. just the wrong era. Yeah, and, and look, you're right about Craig Kiesweather. I thought uh, more than T20 cricket uh, because the question does involve ODIs as well. Mm. I thought he had the potential to be a uh, an ODI grade for England uh, from an English perspective, and where uh, England's uh, 50 over cricket was back then. In terms of history as well, right? I mean, England is interesting, right? They played so much white ball cricket domestically, but you look at their numbers overall because they haven't played enough ODIs. Historically, now I think it's changing with the in the last five or ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the highest run getters are still in the six thousands and the seven thousands. They're way the... lower than everyone else, aren't they? Exactly, I think Joe yeah. Roots caught them a little bit, but even those guys get rested a lot now, so even they're not quite uh, yeah. up there. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do. So, uh, so if Craig Keyswetter doesn't get injured, he has a longer run. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean he was a big threat to uh, Matt Pryor, right? But he kind of took over from Matt Pryor. Uh, in the white ball setup, and he could have had a long career. I think Michael Lum, when you talk about the IPL as well, this is that early period where it felt like the only IPL team was ready to invest in uh, non-big-name English players were the Rajasthan Royals, right? You speak of Dimitri Mascarenhas. Of course, he he was Shane Warne's best friend or one of his best friends, so that helped. He's on the uh, mural. Even some, uh, was that? He's in the mural. He is, yeah. And even someone like Tyrone Henderson, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. all right, he's South African, but you know, he has that good run for Middlesex uh, in the T20, whatever it was called back then in England. He gets a call up. Michael Lumb was similar. I don't think he got a long enough run. He played a few games here and there. and uh, he, he, he had a very that. good strike rate, I think, but it didn't make the runs. And back in those yeah. days, it was probably before, you know, we kind of gave credit to those. I remember having a fight with Grant Elliott about it on Twitter once where because he, he everyone hyped up Michael Lum, and yeah. I was like, look, I'm fine with that. But he, at that stage, he was averaging 19. I think the day me and Grant Elliott had a fight, he made 80. So, he, he, you know, he did make <laughs> a bit more runs. But, yeah, look, yeah. I, I think Kiesvetter uh, is the one. I think Luke Wright was probably slightly too old, and I think Michael Lum was slightly too old uh, from that mm. perspective of 
they were coming to the end of their use. Um, and we've seen lots of players like that come through before where just wrong place, wrong, wrong time. Uh, Patrick says, have we seen who Crawley is yet? Or is it possible he's not, he still might become what England thinks he can be? Look, Crawley is tall, gets on top of the bounce and can drive the ball at a, in a ridiculous way, which should be very good in test cricket. But he has yeah. so many other flaws and he doesn't know how to consistently make runs. He's never learned how to consistently make runs. I can't see how he's going to do that at test level now. I'd much rather he disappear. They say to him, give us one 1,500-run season in county cricket and we'll bring you straight back. I just think him playing one good innings every eight, I personally don't see the the overall benefit for English cricket in that. And also I think the history of test cricket will tell you uh, starting your career with a, a huge score can work for you, but it can also work against you. Uh, you know, uh, Karun Nair is a different kind of example because he was competing for uh, a spot where yeah. suddenly you had a lot of others coming through the ranks as well. But he's not a bad example either. I mean, he gets that triple hundred very early on in his career. And suddenly you're looked as that guy who got the big score, right? So you do, in Zach Crawley's case, I think he got a longer run because of that innings, because people, the argument was, oh, if someone can get 260 in a test match against whatever attack in on whatever pitch, he has to be talented. Mm. And so that gave him a longer robe than uh, some others. In uh, Also, in, in, he was dropped, right? Like, England did yeah. try and move on from him, and then no one else made any runs. Yeah. So if you remember, Renshaw came in. Everyone raved about Renshaw, despite the fact that he, at that stage, Renshaw was like half a batter. He could only hit the ball in about three positions on the field, right? They raved about him. He got dropped because they had other players that they could try, which allowed Renshaw to go up, completely round out his game. Zach Rowley's yeah. never really had that. And, and look, I don't think Zach Rowley is as good a player as Renshaw. Um, I think he has a higher upside, if that makes sense. But I'm not sure he has. He, he's a better all-round player than someone like Renshaw is. But the ability to go off and do that, it's not quite been the same for Crawley because he's always been around. Even when he's not playing, he's been like around the squad or next man in. Um, whereas, you know, if you go through the great Australian batting lineups or the great Indian batting lineups. Those guys could disappear. But then when they came back, they were, you know, it was someone like Murali Vijay, right? Like, you know, mm. a player who would come back or Mike Hussey, you know, fully fledged, fully functioning batting creatures. Whereas in England, if you're a top order player and you'd literally know how to do your pads on, you're probably going to be playing in the next test. And I think Crawley ha has done that as much as anything. I still think he has huge upside. Mm. I just don't think playing him for the next two or three years. And the, you talked about the high average early on. The other thing is that Roshan Mahanama, and there's a New Zealand player who, I forget his name, but he opened early on in the 80s and then came back as a middle-order player. Um, I'm trying Our to remember. Dutch? No. Um, oh, Rutherford. Ken Rutherford. Oh, uh, yeah, of course he right? did. Yeah. So Roshan yeah. Mahanama and Ken Rutherford, both very, very good cricketers. They both had yeah. two of the worst starts in Test cricket history, which meant that their averages were really low. It is really hard to get a high average. I've said this about... Zach Crawley a long way. If he averages 40 for the next few years, that would actually be fine as the way that test cricket is going, but he's still going to average like 32 or 33. So if he has three or four failures, he still could go. It's a, we still look at overall average so much. And when someone's picked so young, we quite, they quite often have, you know, that steeper curve. Mm. Ben says, over the course of a decent length career, stats don't really lie, but what players or player were far better and impactful than their stats show? And who has inflated stats compared to their impact? So I think batting and bowling average in test cricket doesn't lie over mm. a long period of time. Yeah. So I think that's fair. Um, I, I think that's a hard thing to flub 
but there are a lot of players around the world who have brilliant batting averages mm -hmm. who happen to start around the year 2000 and happen to retire around the year uh, 2015, 2016, 2017. That's not to denigrate Michael Clark or Kumar Sankara or I think Yunus Khan might fit in that. Alistair Cook is probably another one who fits in that. I'm not slagging off any of those players because I, I think me, you know, a lot of those are, are absolute great players for their country and some of those are all-time yeah. greats as well. But if you're batting in an era where, where some years, I think the top 40 average was like 40 per year, mm. which no, it's never, never got close to in any other era. You're of course going to have inflated flat, uh, flat stats and the stats. same with bowling. If you're, you know, if you're in 1950s bowlers, a lot of those bowlers have incredible bowling averages. Cause like people were striking at about one run and over, mm. um, <laughs> and eventually oh. the, you know, they went out. So there are a lot of 1950 bowlers or a lot of 1980s, 1990s bowlers with probably better stats than they look like they're having. And then I think one of the most famous cases is probably the Stuart McGill one, right? Where he literally only comes in to play when the pitches are spinning. Anyone who ever saw mm. Stuart McGill in a shield game is not thinking he was one of the greatest leg spinners of all time. They might think he was a very good bowler, but yeah, his numbers will help. Those are the ones off the top of my head. There's probably been spinners who play at home as a second spinner and don't play when they're away. Um, mm. I think that that would be uh, anyone else. And the other one would be South African seamers in general. Mm. It, you South African seamers and Australian and Indian batters over the whole course of their cricket usually have better numbers because batting in India and, and, and Australia is better than batting in other places and bowling seam in South Africa is better than anywhere mm -hmm. else. So there's always a, a natural inflation there, I think. There is. And then you have um, ex uh, exceptional cricketers or exceptional talents who have a good run and then just fade away. And the one name that jumps out at me is Vinod Kamli. I mean, he still averages... Mm -hmm. 54 as a test cricketer. So if you just look at stats alone, um, he counts as one of the best to have ever played for India. But, you know, that also has a lot to do with the fact that he makes double hundreds in literally consecutive test matches against Zimbabwe and then in Engl against England at home. Uh, and his test career is over literally two years after. Voters you know, could throw in there. I mean, uh, yes. In yeah. players like that, you're talking about players who were shafted because there was multiple options or other reasons um other reasons you know yeah. in both of their cases that you know like with voges it's a bit like Dawood milan in t20 cricket where with voges it was like australia was looking for a reason to drop him and they were mm. literally waiting for the first five minutes where he, he yeah. failed a couple of times right yeah and, and you know you do see that sort of stuff the, the the players that don't always come up and i've said this a lot is the sort of shane watson trevor mm. bailey Vinu yeah. mancad type all-rounders oh for sure where they're not quite guns it either discipline but when you factor in the fact you know that they give you an extra batter or an extra bowler or at least control on the other side it's actually they're better than they look so if you look back at you know slasher mckay might be another one as well um you look back at their overall numbers and you're like oh okay they were better than that i think there's a lot of cricketers like that the other thing i would say is and this is in general mm. uh that non-asian spinners I usually have worse numbers just because oh, they yeah, don't yeah. get the ability to cash in. Um, and, and I think that's a, a, you know, a very, very important thing. And first change bowlers, first change seamers. I, I don't know what the drop-off is. I think it's two or three runs per wicket straight away. So if you're bowling first change, your figures just aren't going to look as good as an opener. And you might be doing it, you know, in Joel Garner or Pat Cummins's case, mm. just because it's better for the team. Um, although if those two averaged any less, they'd be in the negative, I suppose. But you know, the, the point is that in general, right through the history of cricket, first change bowlers don't have as good figures as uh, opening bowlers. Uh, they're not cashing in on the new ball.
And so those sorts of players are the ones that instantly come to my mind as not being quite as um, as good as their stats probably show them. Neil Wagner is a great example of that. Like, you know, it also depends on what kind of team you play for. Like, you, you yeah. then 10 years later, you think of, oh, New Zealand's bowling attack. You'll start with Saudi and Bolt, you know, and Wagner's numbers aren't too bad either. But well, still, with like, Wagner, if he played with Chris Martin and Ian O'Brien and those guys, he probably wouldn't have yeah. had the ability to do exactly what he could do, right? So sometimes it's 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 kind of how you fit in. But you're right. Wagner is going to be looked at as probably a worse bowler than the other guys, whereas actually mm. in some ways he was the most important because once yeah. they got through the new ball, that had always been New Zealand's problem. Uh, Luke Foley says, why did Gary Balance retire five minutes after he mm. returned to play for Zimbabwe? I know there's a big story with this. I haven't been following it, but I don't think mm. the story's broken yet. And I don't. So I, we could only go with rumors, um, but I, I think there's uh, to be continued is maybe the best way of putting this mm. is what I've heard. I don't know if you've heard anything more. No, I mean, I heard about Gary Balance uh, being on the cusp of playing for Zimbabwe much earlier than I, I'd heard anywhere else from a few people who are, are always in the know of Zimbabwean cricket. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Like uh, the Gary Balance uh, story in the last three, four years, it's taken a lot of turns that I don't think many expected. Uh, I mean, for example, to start with, no, not many people expected to be speaking about Gary Balance in 2023. Uh, but here we are talking about him. But yeah, it's, you're right. To be continued uh, is a good way of putting it. Uh, I haven't heard much in the last few weeks anyway mm. about what happened with him and Zimbabwe and where he's headed next. He's a fascinating story because he certainly is a test quality international player. Yeah, yeah. And the way that it's all fallen apart that, you know, when Trent Bolt worked him over, I really do think it's fascinating, but yes, sadly, I, I haven't been following. I've been waiting for it to break, but um, mm. I really don't know what is going to break. Exactly. Mm. Gary says now that the world cup qualifier lineup is complete, who are, who's your favorites to make it through going to be a pretty tasty tournament. Mm. Yeah. I, I look on paper. You just think, uh, West Indies and Sri Lanka would make it through just because, I mean, they're the higher profile teams compared to uh, everyone else. But uh, there's been such a strong focus in uh, Irish cricket, for example, about T20 cricket. I don't know where their one-day cricket is. They've had a very tight series against uh, uh, Bangladesh. There are some names that are, I'm um, someone like Harry Tector is having a great run. I think uh, their one-day team's better than their T20 team. Yeah, it, it it always used to be, right? Yeah. But then we heard, uh, or I heard during the T20 World Cup that they were really uh, focusing on that format they because were, they hadn't right. really yeah. done too well in that. But now, yeah, it seems to have shifted. And uh, look, it, I think for the longest time, the problem with Ireland cricket, in my opinion, were uh, was at least in terms of batting, it, it kind of revolved around the same guys. But now there are all of new guys who yeah. come through and are having consistent runs, not just flashing the pan like performances. So, which is good for Irish cricket. Uh, what they're going to play the qualifier in Zimbabwe, uh, low, slow yes. pitches, most times in that time of the year in Zimbabwe. So uh, on paper, most teams have a chance. I'm not sure whether the world is ready for a Nepal or a USA to break through and, uh, you know, qualify for the World Cup. If that happens, great. I don't mind, uh, that but but honestly in a 10 team tournament and i might get uh burned for this online by uh, lovers of associate cricket tim big board to start with uh I, I would prefer if west indies and sri lanka break through that 
uh, though Zimbabwe is not too far behind, we saw them play such good cricket last year. And they, again, another team who have uh, really come yeah. together. Yeah, I think they're going to push the other two. I go against you. I would prefer that Zimbabwe and, uh, sorry, that I would prefer that um, Sri Lanka and the West Indies don't make it. Not, okay. not because I don't like those teams, because obviously yeah. I've you know, always been a massive fan, but just because... I think that's kind of what world cricket needs. As in, True, if that yeah. happens, we have to then just start admitting uh, that, that there are more than 10 teams that are any good. We need to start looking at the way we do these things and everything else. So I do think from that perspective, it would be a lot better. Um, Scotland has got a lot of their yeah. players are not going to be available. So I mm. don't know if they're a realistic chance. I think Zimbabwe and Ireland are very, very good teams. Yeah. Netherlands, I'm assuming, again, a lot of their better players may not be around. Mm. Um, so I think they might struggle. But you get a full-strength Netherlands bowling lineup in. Oh, yeah. I don't know what squad we're going to see. Um, but if you do, uh, then they've got a real chance as well. So there's five pretty strong teams. Um, and then Scotland may not be at full strength when it comes to their bowling lineup, but they've still got a lot of batting talent there. So, I, look, you, I just hope that it's proper cricket. I, I yeah. um, And I think that we are getting closer and closer in the way that in football does to us really paying attention to that. And I mean, as a cricket mm. community, yeah. not just me and Barra, uh, me and Barra uh, <laughs> pay attention to everything. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that it, it's, it's good from that point of view. I would say that Sri Lanka, Ireland and Zimbabwe are the interesting ones. But if Puran has a tournament, yeah, one player that's kind of enough to swing it for the West Indies. Uh, we, we've got a question about uh, Darren Semi, so we'll come to that one later, um, and that will be very interesting. But you do look at, I think, I'm pretty sure, is it Yannick Karaya has been picked for the West Indies yeah. again? Absolutely respect him for you know his late career uh, rebirth. But mm. when I see him in the squad, I don't think West Indies is on, you know, West Indies mm -hmm. is a sure thing of qualifying in the in the next round. Uh, my only concern is, like, while I completely agree with you, like, personally, I would like new teams to come through and uh, be part of that World Cup. Uh, but w while you s look at it from that aspect where, oh, it will kind of ram the point home that cricket needs to spread a lot more. Because it's West Indies and Sri Lanka, and we know where their cricket's at in terms of administration and the finances, mm. if they don't qualify for the World Cup, you might end up losing them for, for a while in terms of that will have a huge impact on cricket in the West Indies and more so in Sri Lanka. So that I, also I kind agree, of plays into it. But the thing is, that is what professional sport is supposed to be. If you are slipping, you are supposed to yeah. go off and actually fix it. And the problem is, if they keep slipping in, like what happened yeah. last time, right, how are they going to learn, right? Yeah. At a certain point, I think they need these teams need to be doused, yeah. right? Uh, Ian says, uh, I can't see this happening, but given the doubts about England's top three and the fears of being 30 for three fairly often this summer, would it be logic to having a grinding opener like Ben Compton at the top of the order with Crawley or Duckett uh, with then Pope to follow? I mean, yes, they're not going to do it, obviously, as you mm. said, <laughs> Ian, but we, I, I think my, my I, I'm not having a go at Ben Compton here, whether it's Ben Compton or someone else. Mm. If that player is not of the ability to regularly face 100 balls in a test match. Yeah. I'm not sure that you're going to get much of a boost out of them anyway. I mean, Dom Sibley is a fantastic blocker. He still yeah. didn't really change England's fortunes, right? And he's no. probably, what, in the top three or four best defensive batters in the world. Um, mm. But he couldn't score, and he couldn't hit the ball anywhere. Ben Compton is maybe a slightly more rounded player, but he's still limited. And if he wasn't limited, he would have just forced his way in a lot earlier. Um, 
So from that perspective, I don't think that Ben Compton is going to make a big difference. But if they're failing all the time, Compton might be the sort of person they just go, look, give give us 100 balls. That's, mm. just, just make sure that Bairstow isn't in uh, with Root uh when mm. you know when we're far, uh, you know when uh, when the new ball's still there that's all we ask depends on the pitches though right uh, if uh, mm. what we're hearing and what uh, the reports are from england about ben stokes asking for flat pitches or fast pitches are then you don't need someone like ben Copton. uh and, and i don't see england going that route i do believe they will be if not flat pitches at least pitches which uh, won't be the kind of pitches which we saw maybe some like, you know, we've seen them in the last few years, right? We're opening the batting in England. What's the toughest thing to mm. do in anywhere in the world or the toughest thing to do in cricket? Um, I don't see we'll see pitches like that, which means that uh, you don't need a grinder at the top, especially the way England are playing test cricket. And now that they've they already started making a lot of noise about how they're going to play, and it almost sounds like they're going to take it to the next level of uh, whatever you want to call basketball or what. Uh, it, it could be interesting to see how that goes. And then someone like Ben Compton just doesn't fit into that uh, mm. into that setup. Because also, if you are playing ultra-aggressive cricket, uh, a, a, a grinder can, be, can work against it, right? Because you want your batters uh, not just to hit boundaries, but to take a lot of strike. And if you have someone playing out maidens at the other end, just because he's trying to soak soak up deliveries or see off the new ball, it affects the momentum of the other batter as well. So how do they bat around him? So that's that'll be a challenge. So uh, yeah, I mean, he, like Ian has said, he doesn't expect it to happen. And neither do I, unless for some reason the county announcement say, uh, you know, uh, screw you or we'll prepare pitches the way we want to. Uh, we'll have a break here on Wagon Wheel and we'll be back with more questions. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back to Uncovered. Jared Kimber and Barrett from the race. And Josh says, Conway seems to have increased his T20 strike rate from 120-ish in the lead-up to the IPL to 135 in the IPL. Has there been a significant change in his batting or am I imagining things? Look, he's had a pretty good strike rate for a long time. I don't mm. think there's anything there, Josh. Um, it's certainly nothing that I've noticed anyway. He did. There was a period where I thought he was... I think teams have, it's a bit like Mike Hussey, whereas I think he's obviously an above average talent, but there was a period where no one knew how to bowl to him. Mm. And and so his record probably looks slightly better than it was because he came in as a fully grown adult rather than someone like Zach Crawley having to come in as a kid still working himself out. Um, so I would say there was probably that, but overall, I think Conway's been a, he's probably been a fairly quick scorer. He always comes up on my, um, uh, you know, information as a faster scoring anchor. Um, so mm. 135 seems pretty normal to me. I think the when the change happened uh, was when he moved to New Zealand from South Africa. Was, I remember yeah. doing a story on him very well, early on. that's because he was crap before and then he became good. Pretty much. Like once he reached New Zealand. No, no. <laughs> I mean, in terms of crap, like so he goes to New Zealand I, uh, and Sriram Krishnamurti, who now I think has moved back to uh, India, who was working as a batting coach in New Zealand 
was the first guy to really take Devin Conway under his wings and spend a lot of time with him. So I remember doing a story just before his test debut, I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's right, like a couple of years ago, I think. So, um, so one thing he did say was, uh, and Devin Conway is one of those cricketers, right? Like every time you see him, it looks like he's become better than he was the last time because uh, uh, he's like a manus sort of steve smith in that sense or a kane williams and just spends so much time in practice and he doesn't leave the nets uh before he's tick every box uh, he wants and while he's in the nets he adds boxes to tick uh is what i've heard i haven't seen much of him uh since i like i haven't seen Devin Conway practice, I don't think. So that yeah. means uh, I haven't covered New Zealand play test cricket in a long time. So uh, and so what happens is he moves to New Zealand and uh, all he wants to do is make big runs uh, in first-class cricket. So you see his record in first-class cricket in New Zealand. Uh, he makes big scores. I think he gets uh, double hundreds and big hundreds and he has two massive seasons in terms of runs and then he's like okay now i need to conquer all formats i want to break into and this is when new zealand seem to have a pretty settled top order uh when he moves there but he looks at opportunities in the other formats and he starts working on his t20 game so i think he spent three or four months around 2019 2020 in that period really working on his t20 games uh, adding more scoring areas all around the ground. And that's when he becomes Devin Conway, the all-round batter. And if you remember, he breaks into the New Zealand side in the shorter formats. And then uh, I think he made that 99 against Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Was it 99 or late 90s? You missed out on 100 uh, by a run or two. And then, yeah, I mean, makes a famous test debut. And yeah, Devin Conway becomes the one of the better batters in the Devin world Conway. across all formats. Yeah, Devin Conway. Uh, Josh says, draftception, which draft would you per, uh, personally have the most fun drafting? Well, we haven't. We have, we've still got to get around and yeah, actually we should. Uh, mm. do one of those. But uh, current test, all-time test, current T20, all-time T20. So we did one um, on Crick Info with me, Gaurav, I think Matt Rowland might have been on it as well, uh, where we tried to come up with the best T20 players of all time. Uh, there's a lot of arguing, a lot of people suggesting Virat Kohli and Darren and, and Dwayne Bravo and me just being like, no. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, look, no, it's good fun. And I think if you're drafting it in that kind of way, if you did a, if you did an all-time test 11 and, you know, it was you, me and, and um, Bayram or, some, or someone like that, mm. it, it would be fun to see, like, obviously everyone's racing for, you know, Imran Khan and Garfield mm. Sobers and Don Bradman and, you know, sort of where you go from there. That would be fun on yeah. a historical one. Um, but all-time T20 is a really interesting one as well. So I haven't done it. I don't think there's a there's a bad one. We'll probably come up with, you know, uh, best New Zealand um, all-rounders of the 90s. Uh, yeah. We could have a great draftception of that as well. Uh, we, it is a series that we're looking to put together. Me and Barrett just have to work it out. We, it might be something we could do when you're over in the UK, actually just yeah, like Yeah, make, make it look important, like uh, have a lot of, many sheets of paper and a pen yes. though i never never i i've literally forgotten writing uh, i must say like and then my... muku doing a ticker at the bottom you know with, with, <laughs> with our stuff now it look josh uh it's something we're definitely going to get into it's something i've been interested in, in a long time and i've now convinced Barra that he would have just as much nerdy fun with it so we'll get to it very soon uh niran says who was unlucky at cricketer phil jakes or brad hodge victorian bias is allowed it's this is tough for me because i'm friends with mm. hodgey so because mm. I'm friends with Hodgie, I'll say Phil Jakes. Um, just because 
I think if you're an Australian middle orders batter, you're always going to come up against three or four all timers. Like there's almost, yeah. it's very rare that Australia doesn't have, especially a four, number four and five who are just absolutely exceptional. They, you know, as a culture, they seem to find them easier than almost anyone else does. Um, maybe India's the only one that would be close mm. um, on that sort of, on that sort of thing. Whereas I think with Jake's also, he get what's he averaging 47 in test cricket. Uh, he averages about 48, 49 for new South Wales does his back and then fades away. Whereas at least Hodge was like, well, look at all yeah. these other guys I can't force into. Yeah. Um, whereas, I think Jake's kind of proven he was very good. That's how I remember it anyway. Oh, yeah. And I did commentary with him during the Sydney test. This time, wonderful man, like a, a very humble. And uh, I, I really. And Hodgie is not team. humble. So that also does. <laughs> <laughs> well, that adds into it, doesn't it? Like that plays into it. No, but uh, you're right. Phil Jake's between 2006 to. And at a time when, you know, uh, Justin Langer's gone, Hayden's. Yeah on the way and is about to uh, quit or retire from test cricket. So Australia desperately needed a stable opener. And Phil Jakes was that man. He scored runs everywhere, right? Like mm -hmm. all around the world, wherever he got the chance. Um, unfortunately, doesn't get a chance to play an Ashes series away from home, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I don't um, think he played many big no, series, did he? He, he, he played he some tough play ones and, and, and did well. But yeah, look, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think, he, I think he, to me, anyway, I thought this is a guy that Probably we get three years of high performance out of. Mm. Probably, I mean, his average is probably slightly um, inflated by the amount of tests he played. He, but I could have easily averaged between forty-three and forty-five. Um, yeah. You know, and been a very, very good player in that way. Hod Hodgie is different. I mean, I first saw Hodgie when he was about. Well, I was going to say when he was little, but I suppose he's still mm. little. But um, I first saw Hodgie when he must have been. Was he sixteen when he made his debut for Victoria? Seventeen. Mm, yeah. He yeah. looked about 12 when he came out Ooh. to bat. And that first season, I think he made over a thousand runs and it was like, wow. He actually then had a bunch of years where he was in and out of the side. He couldn't get it right. He then, when he gets it right, it's probably late on. I would say though, he still has a very good Australian career, just not in test match cricket. Yeah, right? true. Whereas James oh, yeah, doesn't ha really so. have one. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, both, what, both made... Didn't Phil Jakes make a double hundred as well? I'm pretty sure. So both make test double hundreds. You make one against Sri Lanka? Am I making that I think, up? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does make a double hundred against Sri Lanka at home. So uh, both have test double hundreds to their name. But uh, I'm with you. I think Phil Jakes, uh, at least in terms of uh, test cricket, and he didn't have a very bad one-day record either, Phil Jakes. I mean, he didn't play enough. But Brad Hodge is a World Cup winner. Uh, yeah. You know, he had a long run in T20 cricket. He was for the longest time one of the more successful batters for Australia in T20. Played until he was sixty. <laughs> he did. I mean, I think he's still playing somewhere. He, isn't he? Uh, so, I tell you, when we were at St Lucia, when we started to lose, it took everything I had to not uh, to pull him back from putting the pads on. <laughs> Swami Nathan says, "Do IPL cricketers get paid the entire auction amount, even if they warm the bench? What happens when they leave the tournament early? Also, why do IPL teams pay the fines for misbehaving cricketers?" Well, I don't think they get paid the entire auction amount uh, if they warm the bench. You have to play an X number of games, uh, which I think has changed. Back in the day, in the early days of the IPL, it used to be five games. I'm going to say five it games. Was, it, yeah, get, yeah, and then you get paid the amount or a amount and look a, a lot of times as well the amount that you get uh in the ipl auction it doesn't i'm not saying it's uh 
uh, uh, mon- monopoly money, but it, it, it's still like, you know, that money does, it's it's not always just direct. Uh, I'm the owner, you're the player, you get paid. There's so many other elements that come into it or so many factors that play into it as well. Uh, but yeah, warming the bench doesn't get you paid money. If you leave Leaving the early, generally depending on your contract, there are some yes. players who might have a contract where they get paid fully. There are other players that will have a pro rata contract. So they'll say, mm. I'm free for 70% of the tournament and you will yeah. get 70% of the fee. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's not just an IPL thing either. No. The warming the bench one is more of an IPL thing, although yeah, there are is, other leagues yeah. that have that. But the, the, if you're leaving the tournament early, um, that is the case. The IPL team's paying the fines. I'm not sure that's always happened. Is that not? I feel like that's a more of a recent thing. And it's stupid because the idea of fining players is so they're penalized for their own actions. If your team is, I, I don't really get that, mm. but that seems to be a newer thing to me. Uh, yeah, and uh, Swaminathan's question uh, has a lot to do with the recent uh, Virat Kohli, Gautam Gambhir, uh, WrestleMania bout. Uh, I always say just throw them in the cage and they can sort it out. It's been going on. It's one of the longest running individual feuds in cricket. Forget uh, Indian cricket. Uh, but uh, okay, Not in cricket. Gonna... Ian Chappell and Ian Botham still hate each other. That is true. That's a long, longer running feud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, that's more Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan type thing, right? That'll never end. They'll continue till the very end. Uh, this is more, I don't know, John Cena, Randy Orton. Anyway, uh, so uh, and there is another wrestling reference I'm going to bring in later. I saw one of the other questions. But uh, yeah, so RCB did cover for uh, Virat Kohli. It was a biggish amount. Big amount if you are like a lowly paid journalist like Jared and me. Uh, 1.1 crore for saying a few bad words. Imagine if that was our life. <laughs> uh, so I think that, and I don't think every franchise does it. Uh, I think RCB has done it. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's. I thought of, another I, team had done it as well recently. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think traditionally, I don't think this is a thing. And Virat Kohli is the first time I've noticed it. There might mm. be some other IPL heads um, around that have, that have noticed it before. But generally when a player gets fined, they get fined themselves. They get fined. Yeah. Yeah. Not that one crore would make too much of a difference to Virat Kohli. Let's face it. Uh, Swami Nathan again says, how did Aussie cricket and society move on from one extreme to another? Turning a blind eye were worn and more work. Canoodling with the bookies, handing out year-long bans for a relatively innocuous ball tampering. So the, the most important thing to note is that the worn and more thing happens before the Hansi Cronier, Mohammed Azaruddin, mm-hmm. and everything else. And yeah. so at that stage... I would say there had been fixing going on for quite a while. Uh, I think there are lots of stories about it happening in county cricket. There's certainly oh, yeah, other yeah, stories yeah. going on. In fact, I mean, fixing, you know, uh, I think the first public fixing case is 1820s in England. So it's not like Pakistan or Muhammad Azarudin no. or Hansi Cronier invented this thing, right? It definitely was going on in between 1830 and uh, and the oh, year 2000, yeah. right? Across all sport, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, of course, it definitely. Yeah. What it wasn't, though, is it wasn't as um, frowned upon, and it wasn't also people weren't looking for it or anything else. When the war and war thing happened, essentially what happened was that Cricket Australia did it on the sly, right? Mm. They didn't tell anyone. That's why mm. it happened uh, in the way that it did. There was no, what was Cricket Australia going to do this time? It was an overreaction. Uh, if you remember, the Australian Prime Minister was involved. Yeah. It was a complete PR bullshit. Uh, James Sutherland should be ashamed of his role in it because there's absolutely no doubt that he knew that it was happening well before um, the Australian team was caught over it. Uh, 
So it was an overreaction. The fact that the bowlers got no penalty, it's incredible mm-hmm. that they were all walking in with these balls that looked really weird. Um, and, at no, and, and they're reverse swinging like crazy. And at oh. no stage did they think, I wonder if, like, as if the bowlers weren't involved, right? As if the coaching staff wasn't involved. So to give a one-year thing, it was just an overreaction to what happened. And also the lies. But again, that wasn't just the three players who were lying oh. at that first press event. It was also the whole Cricket Australian staff were lying at that point. It was an overreaction. It was a mistake, but it was a particular clusterfuck event. The original one was, it was, it was completely different in the way that it was handled. But if you look at the second one, Shane Warne was given the same penalty um, for, um, uh, for failing the drugs code as, uh, you know, as the Australian players were for essentially lying to the press. Cause remember they weren't, they weren't actually suspended for um, the tampering, were they? It was for the, lying and the deceit and everything else which is even as i said the whole thing's complete bullshit because so many people in australian cricket knew that the ball tampering had been going on and were involved actively in it themselves um and for three players to get suspended is just it was it was uh it was an overreaction to what was a very very public incident remember no one saw um Shane Warne and Mark Wall with the bookie. No one had, yeah. you know, footage of them, you know, having a smoke out the back or anything like mm-hmm. that. So it was very different. One of the favorite things about Australian society that I like talking about, and I do it on any medium that I'm uh, given an opportunity on, is how cricketers in this country are held to such a different moral standard as compared to other famous sports people, especially as compared to footy players, whether you're playing AFL or NRL, right? Like, I mean, some of the things that, uh, those guys uh, are getting involved in domestic abuse, sexual abuse, stalking, smearing shit on the walls of places, smearing shit like, on the like just like yeah, I mean over and, and over again, and not just in Australia. They go overseas, they go to America, punch out bouncers, yeah. uh, grope women, and, and a few months later, it's uh, you know back to normal. Uh, he's a star, or he's a star. Which club? I remember someone from. Collingwood got into a lot of trouble last year, and that no, it's never happened, mate. Yeah, you know, <laughs> especially from Collingwood, of course. No, so. I mean that was a perfect I, example. If I remember talking to my family and friends, and just being like, "Well, that's it. We're going to have to get rid of him," and they're like, "No, no, he'll be back." He'll and be I was back, like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I'm thinking cricket. He yeah. will be back. Of course, he'll be back. He's got a whole it's... off season to rehab his image before he comes back, right?" And that's exactly what happened. And he's still playing for Collingwood now, and. We, as you said, yeah, the rugby players, rugby league, oh, we should say, rugby union rugby players league. don't seem to smear as much shit or grope as or, many no, women. Nobody from seems what I can to tell. write about them, just like nobody seems to write about rugby union much in this country. But yeah. the rugby league, league players, the kind of things they do, and, and if you think about, I mean, again, like I said, terrible things to other people, where other people's lives are impacted for for forever. And yeah. here you're talking about. Uh, Three guys who did tr- tried doing something to a cricket ball and they didn't even succeed. Like the ball wasn't even tampered with eventually. Like they didn't even have to change it. So you're you're punishing someone for doing something so badly to a cricket ball, which had no impact on it, and you yeah. know they're gone for a year. While like these guys are up to oof, crazy things, right? Like yeah, court cases all around the shop. Like uh, and not just. Current players, retired players, but they a lot of them have media gigs. But when it comes to cricket, Australia is like, no, you can't do anything wrong. You have to follow this moral code, which, I, you know, it, it kind of explains why that overreaction happened yeah. in uh, 2008. 
Yeah, I mean, if you compare it, uh, I mean, we're getting very Australian on this episode, but it's a really mm. good question, Swami Nathan, and because you've mm. asked this question. If you compare it to the Essendon football scandal, right, where the players were involved with um, supplements. So mm. it was a bit like what happened with Sky, uh, the Sky Cycling team, where it wasn't doping, but it was like organized cheating yeah. around yeah. the doping um, um, thing. There was a big reaction, but I think the coach actually stayed on for a little while. And I know some of that was contractual and everything else. The big difference from Darren Lehman, you know, in tears and everything and and the way that went. All I would say is that pretty much everyone involved has been rehabilitated ever. And if you look at some of the biggest scandals in cricket, like the um, rebel tours of the English players and everything Mm. else, outside of the West Indian rebel players, cricket is a still usually come back, right? There are some players who are too unruly for the system in cricket. So Vinod Campbell mm. might actually, to go back, might yeah. be one of those sorts of people. John Snow is a really good example in English mm. cricket. Uh, um, um, Rodney Hogg, maybe, in Australia? I, mean, I don't uh, know. I think Rodney Hogg was probably just slowing down, so they moved him on. But mm. there's, oh, you mean, or do you mean of recent times since he started saying racist things? Yeah, Greg yeah. Ritchie and Rodney Hogg of recent yeah. times. But during the careers, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're a good player, Generally, you do find your way back into the international setup in cricket, but there does seem to be a moral code. Look, I mean, Leslie Hilton was a cricketer and he was, was he put to death, I think, for murdering someone? Um, uh, What was the bit, the West Indian from Barbados with the big front foot who used to bowl the beamers? Roy? Uh, Roy Gilchrist. Yeah, Roy Gilchrist, um, you know, savagely beat his wife. You Mm. know, there's... Plenty of, you know, obviously Terry Jenner, Shane Warne's um, mentor was yes. um, was in jail was it for fraud, I think. Yeah. You know, it's I not mean, like Steve cricketers Rand- are better than other people. Yeah. I mean, Steve Randall, I'm not cricket of umpire, but yeah. like, you know. Well, Steve Randall stuff is really, really bad. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I hope that answers it, Simon Nathan. And, you know, everyone else can Google the Essendon Supplement Scandal. <laughs> or the Collingwood player. <laughs> no. Uh, Aditya says, um, in your IPL MVP, you like and say wag to Viv Richards when it comes to T20, given his uh, real strike rates compared to others. Given his white ball exploits, he's truly a pioneer, would even fit into a modern T20 squad. Why doesn't he feature offer in the ODI T20 GOAT discussion? So I'll tell you a story. I was writing about Andrew Simons. And when I was writing about Andrew Simons, it must have been just after he passed, actually. Mm. And I was writing a piece for Crick Info. And I sent it into Usman Samiuddin, and I said that when you look at Andrew Simons' strike rate, it really is up there with the best players mm. who've ever uh, struck the ball. You know, Viv Richards is certainly one of those. Um, yeah. And I mentioned from the Sewag. And Usman, who's like, obviously, a, you know, a god of cricket writing and knows it, he's like, I thought Sewag was a bad ODI player. And it had never occurred to me that people still hadn't caught up with that. That was the feeling mm. back then because he averaged yeah. about, what, 33 or 35 yeah. when everyone else was averaging 50, right? But he was averaging that at a strike rate of about 105, 110. 105, yeah. 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 Like, mm. it was ridiculously higher mm. than what the, the the rate was. And I sort of thought, because in my mind, I've retroactively gone back and gone, oh, I was wrong about Sayward. He was actually much better than I thought he was. But most people haven't. And when we yeah. did this IPL MVP thing, we were just like, Saywag. So I think he's, I think we had him as MVP caliber player in three of the first four or five years. Mm. No one was saying that at the time. Again, you know, there was, it wasn't the way we thought about cricket. And I do think that it was just wrong place, wrong time. The difference between him and Viv Richards 
is that Viv Richards did match a very good average with an extraordinary strike mm. rate. So Viv Richards is, is probably more like just Butler or A.B. De Villiers in that way. Mm. But Sewag, they're just, I mean, it's absolutely obvious to me now that we completely underestimated the careers. The two players for me are Shahid Afridi and, mm. and Sewag. Now that we know much more about white ball cricket, not just T20, but all white ball cricket, I think we can look back and go, yeah, I mean, Shahid Afridi could get in the side for two different jobs. And with one of them, he was absolutely bang on one of the better players yeah. in the world as a bowler over and over again. And then occasionally he was the best hitter we had in the game. We sort of made fun of him back in the day. Like I, I you, me and Barron and kind of, well, I'm a nineties kid. He's more an early two mm. thousands kid. We were making fun of, uh, yeah, Freedy, yeah. right. And we were, and we were saying things like say, well, he's not even averaging 50. What a dud. Mm. I think we just <laughs> know a lot more about white ball cricket now than we used to. And with say, uh, well, the question kind of answers itself, uh, because his test numbers were so great. And, uh, the, impact he had um, on so many great moments for India in Test cricket during the 2000s. Uh, you kind of just, just you took his wide ball stuff more for granted because of what he did in Test cricket. I mean, the hundreds he makes all around the world, the way he takes down Ajanta Mendes in that Test match and so many other innings right? in India, the MCG one in 2003 uh, and so many more. But I think what happened as a result was uh, we focused so much on Virinder Sehwag, the test batter, that we kind of were like, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously he would... It was almost a question of, like, he's so good. He plays test cricket like this. Mm. He obviously will be good at white ball cricket. And then you start looking at his numbers and saying, hey, but he's actually not as good as we thought he is, without really looking at the, the numbers that matter, like the strike rate you said. And we spoke so much about uh, the revolution in England's test cricket and who's brought that about. Mm. I think Virendra Sehwag did that to Indian cricket, uh, you know, long time before people even realized it. Uh, you know, the way he played white ball cricket, mm. uh, you know, once he becomes an opener in what the 2002 uh, Champions Trophy in Sri Lanka. Uh, and then, you know, till then, Tendulkar Ganguly was the great opening partnership, right? Maybe the greatest opening partnership in one day yeah. cricket. Once Sehwag comes into the mix, how often did both Tendulkar and Ganguly opened together. They had to kind of bat up and down. like, And then Seva became the number one opener in the side. Uh, and, and it's like, yeah, when you speak to uh, players who played with him and against him, uh, you, uh, you kind of realize now retrospectively what an impact he had on not just Indian cricket, but world cricket and not just in test cricket. I think test cricket, his numbers are so good that he is one of India's all-time greats. Uh, but his white ball numbers, uh, they get compared. But if you look at the white ball numbers exclusively and in the IPL as well, like you said, uh, you know, when he played for Delhi and then when he had that run with Punjab, when he had a very good year with mm. them, uh, they're extraordinary. Mm. Uh, one thing I was going to say is that I think we have seen attacking players who have struggled in uh, white ball cricket before. Today, Michael you might Slater. Be. Yeah, but Slater was the one I was going to mention. And yeah. weirdly enough, I think Slater and Sewag were almost conflated. Whereas actually, mm. when you go back, you're like, well, Slater didn't work. He literally couldn't play white ball cricket. He whereas is, that's just yeah. not the case when you, when you no. look at Sewag. So I do think there was a bit of confusion there. Uh, we'll have another break here. And then after the break, we've got a couple more Patreon questions and a couple from the room as well. Welcome back to Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber and Barrett Cinderacen. Sorry, that question. 
I think we've got some doubles in our questions. Uh, mm. Sorry, everyone. They keep coming up. Uh, just want to thank, uh, shout out to the uh, chat as well. Uh, Swami Nathan's in the chat. All Things Cinema Podcast. Keshav, Crick Freak, EKG, Canadian Enthusiast, Satya, Frog Skull. Uh, and Nir- Naren's in there. He said, he said, um, Jake's made 150 versus Sri Lanka close. Enough. Oh, that's right. Shorts Tequila said it's 4.18 in India. Always happy when people tell us what time it is in various wow. parts of the world. Uh, we'll just uh, get through a couple more here and I'll go into uh, the chat um, at the end because there's a couple of questions I want to get to there. That's a question we've already done, haven't we? Emran says, do you think the Wobble Ball's impact on modern Red Bull cricket has been largely negative or positive? I feel like the delivery has largely reduced the skill of bowlers. I get that. Yes. Uh, and from a batting perspective, if the ball is wobbling consistently, there's very little the batters could do until it stops wobbling. And by then you're usually 80 for four or five. Um, look, Emran, I'll put it this way. I under, 100% understand why you've said what you've said and everything else. What I would say is that uh, batters deserve everything that comes their way. Um, and we had a period from 2000 to 2016 where there were more runs scored uh, than there really had ever been in a 15-year period in the history of Test cricket. And there was always going to be a correction to that. This has probably been a slightly uh, more full-on one than we thought it was going to be. And I do get your point with the skill. What I would say is that now we have players who can bowl swing and normal ball, which wasn't yeah. quite the case beforehand. We now have players who can get the ball to wobble in both different directions. Um and swing bowling is still very important in different ways. Uh, so I'm not as worried from that point of view. Um, and I think batters do will do what they always do. There, there was a, if you go back, they literally said that the wrong one was ruining cricket in 1920s, mm. right? That, that we've always, every time the bowlers work out something new, people go, oh no, our poor batters. Batters will work it out. And then, mm. and then in a couple of years time, we'll be complaining again that the batters are on top. Yeah, and the only annoying thing about the wobble ball, though, is it's uh, it's used a bit too much in press boxes. I'm sure you heard it, Jared. Like now, people, uh, I mean, our journalists who want to sound intelligent, just uh, shout out wobble ball, like or wobble seam, like when they think they're not getting enough attention. Um, it's not just that. I would say the biggest problem with it is, I was watching Mukesh Kumar bowl today. Hmm. And he bowled a ball where the seam wobbled. But I'm absolutely 100% sure it was accidental. And yeah. there's no way of tracking it, right? There's, uh, Crick Viz can't do it. I'm not even sure with the rotation of the ball, if we had advanced no, no. technology, yeah, yeah, yeah. we might be able to work it out. But even then, it's a bit tricky. It's hard to see it in the same way it is in other ways. I've, I've had two professional bowlers who both can bowl it, arguing over whether someone has bowled one or not. Um, mm. So I do get that sort of thing. And I also, Emron's em- point of that it, it makes cricket a little bit more one-dimensional from a bowling perspective. I think it yeah. did originally, as I, as I said, I think that is moving on a little bit. But I don't think Emran understands that most bowlers can only bowl one delivery and a straight delivery anyway. <laughs> so it's like wobble ball and a straight ball, whereas before it used to be an outswinger and a straight ball. Yeah. There aren't that many bowlers at the top level who can do you know multiple skills. And the ones who usually do are either geniuses or all-times great. So look, I understand why it's frustrating, but you know, if you we we both started covering cricket where literally you could not take a wicket, right? Yeah, this yeah. this oh, has yeah, been a right. far more interesting time for me. Are you bowling one now? 
No, I'm just trying to like align it with the camera and I'm struggling to do that. So just to explain Wobble Ball, that's I'll, your I'll move everyone's question so you can, you have your full yeah. frame now. This is also yeah. an audio podcast, so maybe. Oh, really? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought this is only on radio. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, all right. If you are listening to this, I have a cricket ball in my hand <laughs> with a pretty pronounced seam. I think yep. it's a... It doesn't matter. So uh, I must have stolen it when I was umpiring a game and I never gave it back. So uh, that's your, uh, so I'm just explaining what a wobble ball is. This is the worst segment I've ever been involved in. (laughs) So that's how you hold a cricket ball when you just want to swing it, like your fingers on either side of the seam. With wobble, you kind of of spread your fingers apart and you kind of don't, kind of release the ball and don't use your wrists much so that it kind of wobbles in the air and with the hope that it, kind of lands on the sea and then does something. And then Jimmy Anderson started swinging the wobble wobble scene ball. The way I would explain it in um, uh, layman terms is it's like when you're playing video games, right? Or, I mean, I haven't played a PlayStation in more than 12 years, so I'm sure things have changed. But with the joystick, I'm sure, Jared, even like, say you're playing a, a soccer video game, you suddenly like press that button accidentally, which you haven't before. And you're like, ooh. This happens. And then yeah. it becomes like your go-to move and you keep doing that. I think that's what ha- happened with the bobble uh, seam ball once Jimmy Anderson brought it into Vogue. A lot of bowlers realized that in conditions where nothing's happening, maybe I'll just start pressing that button or in this case, spread my fingers a little more and start releasing the ball and see what happens. And then yeah. it just the trend. It's an interesting ball because it is tough to go between a wobble ball and a conventional ball. Um, yeah. a bit like our baseballers don't throw knuckle balls and then, um, on pace, um, balls, they have trouble with that. Whereas in cricket, it's so far anyway, going between the wobble ball and a normal ball has only a couple of players have really mastered that ability. Yeah. Your fingers is right. It's wider on your fingers. It also, that the seam is not quite exactly the same. Like the mm. idea is that, um, it, the, that the seam doesn't come out dead straight, uh, for whatever reason, it seems to veer back violently and sometimes veer away violently, depending mm. on the bowler, in a way that normal seam-up deliveries don't. And then, of course, it then has one where it just fades back, and then it has the other one that goes dead straight. So you kind yeah. of had three options all the time. But it isn't it, uh, the, the important thing to say, Emron, is it isn't just a wobble ball that's changed. Mm. Bowlers started bowling fuller, and they started bowling yeah. wider on the crease. Um, and all of those things meant that the angle, every ball is now hitting either the top of off or the top of middle. Whereas if you grew up watching cricket in the 90s or the or 50s or the 60s, it was well outside of stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And a lot of that to do is also with a DRS and everything else. So the wobble ball is almost a perfect event, invention for this modern form of cricket. Um, if you had, had bowled it in the 80s and 90s, you wouldn't have got the, any LBWs because you would have been coming wide of the crease. And the minute mm. you came wide of the crease, the umpire would have said not out. So exactly. a lot of things have changed in that time. Plus, Seam has never used to get as many LBWs, um, uh, 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 you know, just just in, in general, um, probably because they, uh, and you know, and different things happen. The West Indies started bowling shorter and all sorts of things. But it's not just the wobble ball has changed, I think is the most important thing to know. But it definitely has to. Uh Simon Atham, he, he's all over it. Oh, Do you think becoming a T20 journeyman will make talented but troubled Indian cricketers like Prithvi Shaw have long and fruitful careers? How does the economics of that decision uh, making work? Do the riches from the CPL, BBL, 100 and PSL combined make up for the IPL? So, okay, CPL, BBL, 100. Let me try and work out these numbers. That's 400, 500, 560. Let's show Major League Cricket in there, 700. You would have to have almost maximum con- uh, contracts in every single one of those tournaments 
to make up what is a sort of a good contract in the IPL. Um, and the other thing is, and you might know more of this than I would, Barra, mm. you would also miss out on several sponsors. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So which is where the real money is. If you're not famous in India, you know, so what is it? It's a, a top-level Indian cricketer gets $100,000 to open a supermarket for an hour's work, right? I think yeah. that used to be the market a couple of years ago anyway. It's probably gone up since then. Um, so a mid-level cricketer is getting like $20,000 to open those up. You're not getting that if you're playing in the CPL, BBL, 100 and PSL, right? So instantly, it's not just about those sorts of things. There's so many other deals you're not getting. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, and uh, the fact is that f- at least for the next few years, even if Prithvi Shaw, for example, wanted to go that route, he can't because, uh, you know, you have to break your links with Indian cricket or move to the US like Anun Mukchand has done or uh, some others have because there's no other and way. Anun Mukchand wasn't on a, a good contract. So he it's wasn't, easy no, exactly. Yeah, he had to, like, you know, to, to pursue his cricket. Um, so that's not going to happen. But it, it is an interesting question because, uh, and I was some show last weekend. Uh, I do believe that uh, going forward, it might not be the top name Indian cricketers or like those who play regular cricket for India, but it could well be the other uh, other outliers or the, uh, the, the second or third tier Indian cricketers who play in the IPL who eventually will start playing in these other leagues. And the only reason I say that is not because the players will have a choice. It's because this BCCI versus the IPL franchise owners not war, but like the 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 battle that is is slowly commencing will kick up steam. I think in the next few years, where right now the BCCI has the ultimate say on what their players do. Uh, and look, we're already hearing about contracts being handed out by the franchises, not just for Indian players, but for foreign players. The Jofra Archer story is broken now, and lots of other players similarly will uh, come into the mix. But I think they will reach a point where I, I this is my vision. The BCCI and the IPL franchise owners with regards to Indian cricketers will reach up an impasse where they'll be like, all right, fine. You can use so-and-so players, but you can't use the Virat Kohli's and even yeah. maybe a Prithvi Shaw. Oh, yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Right. I, I, yeah. I think something else will happen as well. It probably won't happen with the player of Prithvi Shaw's talent, but, you know, the there are plenty of very good American basketballers who don't play basketball in the NBA, right? There's only so yeah. many players... And there will be other leagues as well, like, you know, the Chinese basketball and the Spanish league that actually offer NBA NBA level players contracts and playing time that might be uh, worth more to them. There are English footballs who don't play in the Premier League, Spanish mm. footballs, et cetera, et cetera. So from that perspective, if India keeps building the talent pool that they're, they're doing, then you will get, maybe you will get the... You'll have the S-tier players, which is, you know, Kohli, you know, level players, Sky, um, Boomer level players. Then you'll have A-tier players. But B and C-tier players might get to a certain point with this, like, yeah. well, we can actually make this money up or mm. we can play for someone else. And and so I believe that will be the other thing that will happen. Just because if there's so much money in Indian cricket, what will happen is you'll get a – at the moment you have the sort of the coaching academy type situation where, you know, every – former Indian player has a has a farm somewhere with a bunch of nets and, and, and you know, is working on stuff. The next system that will be, there'll be a system sort of outside of um, the BCCI's control, which will be probably, you know, the best 15, 17, 19-year-old players playing for personal sorts of academies yeah. against each other. Um, and so the overall talent in Indian cricket will just multiply because we know that the mm. people are there and the, and that the passion is there. 
that's going to flood into the rest of the market. And so you might get more people who go to America or maybe, yeah. try, you know, maybe they have an uncle in Australia or whatever that may be, um, all those sorts of things that will do that. I think that'll just be a natural part of it because there's too much talent in India to be mm. actually used just in the IPL, unless the IPL gets to 30 teams really, really quickly. And I don't think that's going to happen either. No. All right. We have a super chat from Aditya who says, do you think the LBW rules laws uh for a batter playing switch hit or reverse sweep need to be changed to to include pitched out, uh to not include pitched outside leg um even leg side wide not given so what he's saying is when you switch yeah. to your other form of batting you are forfeiting the fact that you have a leg stump right yeah. and you're basically saying i have an off stump on both sides i don't mm. mind this at all mm. because i think that's that's part of the reason that the batter is playing that shot at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And if they want to keep taking that risk, I again, I love the, re I think the reverse um, sweep is one of the greatest shots in cricket. Plus I'm good at it. So it's one of the few <laughs> shots I can actually nail. Um, but I think if I'm playing it, um, I shouldn't have a leg stump. I should have off stumps on both sides and I should be able to mm. go out LBW on, on either side because I forfeited the, the, the thinking that I ever had a leg stump at that point. Um, and I also think the leg side wides, I think if we bring that particular rule in, you might get every time someone goes into reverse sweep, you might just get a bunch of crappy balls bowled. So I'm not as keen on that just because I think it has a secondary follow-on. Um, mm. But the first one, I don't care about it at all. And it's something that gets discussed in umpiring workshops around the world all the time. I mean, that's always a topic. That's a given uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, how it's just a matter of time before that's going to happen to the extent I heard it so much that I thought that rule had already changed where if you kind of switch it, get into that position, the leg stump is uh, taken out of the picture, but maybe it hasn't come into force yet. Uh, but look, the um, the cricket committee is it uh, and the MCC seem to be changing the laws of the game on a daily basis. So maybe, uh, you know, this it, it's just a matter of time before this comes. But whenever it's a it's a law which impacts run scoring it takes a longer period of time as we've learned with cricket than it does if it's going to favor the bowlers so you'll have to wait for don't a know while why that is must be no wonder must be a reason if only someone knew don't put that in the comments by the way if you're on youtube <laughs> now um all things oh wait all things cinema vodcast he came up with this i actually thought it was one of the patreon cash questions oh. but i just realized it was in the normal chat but he said i wanted to know your thoughts on darren sammy as white ball coach especially with the World Cup qualifier, uh, World Cup, and the, then the the second the T20 World Cup in the next year. I, I worked with Darren Sammy, obviously, in St. Lucia, um, know him quite well through that. I think, for me, he wasn't, wasn't even a captain when he was at St. Lucia, and yet he's the sort of person that's involved in kind of every detail. Those sorts of people, that kind of energy that he has, um, yeah. is, is quite often make good coaches. Look, as I said, Yannick Karai is in the lineup. It's not. I didn't look at that World Cup lineup and be like, "Well, they're definitely going to qualify mm, for the, no. the tournament." I also have seen him work at times in uh, the PSL, um, and I think some of the other leagues. I think he's been involved with. I haven't seen anything revolutionary from him. I thought he was a brilliant tactician as a player and a very clever user of his own skills in T Twenty oh, cricket. Yeah. Um, and 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 to maximise himself to play as much international cricket as he did, mm. I think he he was very very clever. I'd be shocked if there's a huge boom though for West Indies cricket just because his coach, based just on the 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 squads that they're picking, not based on the fact that he's a good or bad coach. Oh, I've known Darren Sammy a long time. Uh, what two thousand? 
10 or 11 is when I got to know him. And uh, I mean, Darren Sammy, the person has evolved since then. Uh, he was, uh, uh, he was almost not comfortable being West Indies captain in terms of the attention that he got as a result of it. This is way before he started playing in all these leagues and he became a global T20 uh, sensation. So 2000, before they had even won their first T20 World Cup. So, uh, and if you know anything about Darren Sammy's childhood, so he grew up uh, wanting to be, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm getting the, not a priest, but someone who, uh, uh, I'm going to say uh, my Christian terminology is gone for the toss, but he's Pastor? He, a pastor. That's the word I was looking for. I don't know why I kept going to a priest. So he would, as a as a teenager, Darren Sammy would go around the island uh, preaching. You know, uh, and one thing about him is he is very very good at bringing people together, uh, which he, he would have done as a pastor as well. And he did definitely as a cricket captain and a leader within that side. You know, you look at the history of Darren Sammy, the cricketer. Uh, a lot of people maligned him for being an administration man when he took over the captaincy. But through that period and then when all the big players came back, he held everyone together. Uh, and he has the ability to inspire others to bring the best out of themselves. And also one thing he's very smart at doing is, uh, even if, say, there are warring parties within the side, He's very good at making sure that uh, you know they they get they all rally around, uh, no pun intended, uh, around yeah. one point. Like you know, in 2016, and I would make fun of him. Uh, he would keep saying that they are David and everybody else is Goliath. And, and after every press conference, I'd be like, "What? What the fuck are you talking about? Like nobody mm -hmm. thinks you guys are not the favorites for this tournament." But he got everybody else to rally around it. So that yeah. those things he'll do in terms of cricket tactics and whether he lifts West Indies cricket as a coach, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, Jared, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm kind of running out of time. I have a doctor's appointment. So you you were the one who was late, by the way. Yeah, no one so, else. One last yeah. thing on Darren Sammy, I, I will say this is that he's a brilliant politician. And they need a politician because when Karen Pollard was there, they didn't have one. When Nicholas Puron was there, they didn't have one. They definitely need that. One last question from Aditya. And yeah. then um, yeah, Mr. the man who was already late and uh, has made himself late for his next appointment can go. Aditya says, do you think the cricket is a sport where the name of the sport is used in commentary the most, e.g. good cricket shot, overall good cricket? It certainly happens in basketball. And I think I've got a feeling that, it's used in golf. So no, Aditya. But thank you very much for your Super Chats, for both your Super Chats, in fact. Yeah. But yeah, I don't... It's hard for me and Barrett to say because we watch so much cricket and we probably watch one... Well, I watch one sport. He watches dancing in, in tights <laughs> that he pretends is a sport. But I would say that... I would say it's certainly something that does happen in other sports as well. Um, but yeah. It's a very interesting question. But it's that's all we have from Wagon Wheel. Um, as Barrett's sending me WhatsApps telling me that... Um, He's going to have to pay a fine for missing his doctor's appointment. Uh, thank you very much to everyone uh, for getting involved again. And we will see you very, very soon uh, next week. And we'll be talking about something else. That's all I have. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. 
You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.